Romans chapter 10, uh, we'll be in verses 14 through 17 today, and I'm going to start reading at verse 13. Let's read together from God's Word. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. I want to help us understand and the scripture helps us understand today that when God does what God is going to do, he uses means to do it. He does it in some particular way. We all know this. If you know that God is God, that God is over everything, you know that God has some things that he's done where he used other creatures to get it done. Uh, One time, one of our kids said to us, how did God make this house? Sitting in the house and, and say, well, what do, you, what do you mean? Well, God made everything, and this house is here. So how did God make this house? And, well, the answer is God made everything that is part of the house. He made all the materials. He, he grew the trees for the lumber. Uh, and not only that, but he, he also made the people who had the understanding and the skill to design the house. He made the people who could come out and pour the concrete and put up the posts and put it all together. Even as I'm talking about, you can tell that I'm not one of those people. But he made those people, and he brought it together. And so sometimes you would, you would look at something like that, and you'd laugh, and you'd say, well, God, God made things like rocks and the sky and the, the ocean. God didn't make this house. People made the house. And yet, that's not quite true. Here's what it says in Psalm 121, uh, verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You hear that? The house wouldn't be there unless the Lord decided it was going to be there. And and then in Psalm 127, same, same verse, second half of it, it says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So, so that gives us two questions right there. If How's a house going to get built? Well, the Lord has to be the one who builds it. The way he's going to build it is he's going to build it through builders. And the same question, if a city or a nation is going to be protected from enemies that want to invade it, well, who's going to protect it? And the answer is the Lord. The Lord alone is going to protect it. But when he protects it, he uses watchmen. He puts those watchmen. He puts puts people at NORAD in Colorado Springs who can watch over what's coming in as far as intercontinental ballistic missiles or something like that. But all of that, it has to be God doing it, but he uses means. And in the same way, when God saves people, who's the one who saves those people? It's God. It's God alone who saves people, and yet how does God do it? He uses means. He uses the means 
of people going to spread the gospel, that's how he's going to save people. And so we've already seen in the book of Romans as we've gone through the reality that God is the one who elected and predestined people from before the foundation of the world. Anybody who is going to be saved, God decided before he ever made anything that that is a person that he is going to save, and he's going to do it. He said this back in Romans eight twenty nine: for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You hear that? From start to finish, it's the work of God. From God's foreknowing, his electing, his predestining from before the foundation of the world, all the way to glory for all eternity, it's a work of God. God has it done. We, we've also seen in the scriptures, and, and in particular in Romans, that he redeems his elect by the blood of Christ. It says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know what that says? If Jesus died to save somebody, they're going to be saved. They're going to be saved. It's going to work. It's going to come together and happen. But today, as we come to this, we're going to see that when God brings us together, when God is going to save someone, he does it using human beings. He does it completely by his own power, but he uses the means of people like us to get the gospel into the ears of those who need to hear, and that's how he saves. So let's look at verse 14 to start with, Romans 10, 14. And just a reminder that the last verse says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's been talking in these chapters specifically about what's going on with the Jewish people, but he's, he's kind of turning in these verses to speak more generally of how it is that anyone is saved. And, and, and he's going to come back around at the end of the chapter and apply that once again to those who are among the Jewish people. But here he's, he's just giving the general principles Everyone, anyone from all nations, any background, any kind of sin in their background, whatever it is, who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus in faith will be saved. But then here's the question, and this gets to what I'm calling today the golden chain of evangelism and missions. Here's the question, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And then how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now, why, why did I say the golden chain of evangelism and missions? Well, I read you just a minute ago what we usually call the golden chain of redemption from Romans eight twenty nine and 30, that God is the one who foreknew, who predestined, who uh, called, who justifies, and who glorifies, that all the way from beginning to end, it is the work of God. Well, this shows us Here's a chain of how is it that God is going to use means to do that, to apply that redemption to individual people. And here's the gist of what we see in verses 14 and 15. Here it is. To get the gospel into the heart, it has to come to the head. And to get the gospel into the head, it has to come 
to the ears. And to get to the ears, it has to be told. And to be told, somebody has to be sent to tell it. So let's think about that. One little phrase at a time, starting in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? This is the idea. It it just said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as we talked about last week, that that calling on the name of the Lord that it's talking about, it's it's not talking about, well, use this formula of words and that will save you. No, it's, it's talking about that kind of a heart cry of faith. It's talking about that, that believing upon Jesus that's not just an affirming of the facts, but, but a placing of one's faith into the hands of Christ for salvation. That calling upon the Lord that, that looks kind of like that, that calling out of that tax collector in the temple who said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but you can't do that, it says, unless you first believed. Now, when it makes that distinction there between calling and believing, I think what it's doing is he's saying here that you can't have the actual kind of heart faith in Jesus unless you first have the head knowledge about Jesus. And we say all the time, head knowledge is not enough. It has to go from your head to your heart. It's true. But what he's getting at here is it's not going to get to the heart unless it's been in the head first. It has to go through the head to get to the heart. If you don't have any idea who Jesus is, if you don't, maybe you have some idea who Jesus is, but you just don't care, then you're not going to call out to him in faith. There has to be some kind of understanding. And so, so the, the kind of believing that's going to cry out to Jesus in faith doesn't happen without some understanding of who Jesus is. But that gets to then the second thing. How are they going to come to an understanding of who Jesus is? Well, to get to the head, it has to come through the ears. Now, ears, I'm using there a little bit uh, uh, metaphorically. You know, I mean, it could be through the eyes that you're reading it written down on words, but but it has to come in somehow. So to, to this kind of like generic faith in a generic higher power, that doesn't save anybody. To, to have eternal life in heaven, we have to have faith in the Lord of heaven, who's a specific Lord, whose name is Jesus. And so in order to believe in him, you have to hear about him. And then it says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that's the idea there is, here is how somebody is going to find out, well, it's going to come through others getting the message to them. Now, when, when you see how are they to hear without someone preaching, what does it mean, someone preaching? Well, one way is exactly what I'm doing right now, I'm preaching. So this is, this is one way, is, is for a preacher to stand up in a pulpit and to preach the truth about Jesus it can also come in other ways, too. When it says, without someone preaching, it's not just talking about the preacher standing up in the pulpit. It could also be you, Christian, having a personal conversation with your child or with your coworker, or with somebody that you just met. It could be that you are preaching, not in terms of, of standing up and teaching the Bible, but in terms of just, I am going to tell this person the truth about Jesus Christ. So it could be a 
a preacher in a church service. It could be a street preacher. By the way, do you know who did a lot of street preaching? Jesus and the apostles. <laughs> so anytime you see a street preacher out there and you're, the first inclination of your heart is, that guy's terrible, well, he might be terrible. It's true. But the fact that somebody's street preaching, that's actually pretty biblical. So, so we, can't, we can't just despise that. And we have people sitting around us right now, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of you came to faith because somebody was out on the street preaching the gospel. And we're thankful for that. It could be that. It could be that you placed a Bible in somebody's hands, right? Now, that you would say, well, that's not preaching. Well, you know what? There's a lot of preaching in here. And, and if you're going to have a Bible get into somebody's hands, it's not just going to fly into their hands. There has to be some kind of sending it, getting it to them. Maybe one of the Gideons putting it in your hotel room or in your hospital room or somebody out on the street just handing it out or, or giving it as a, a very thoughtful gift in various ways, giving the Bible, giving a gospel tract. We give out a lot of gospel tracts. By the way, if you ever want gospel tracts to give out, there's some in the back over there, there's some over there. If we run out, we'll buy a bunch more, okay? There is no better use of the church budget than to buy gospel tracts for you to use in personal evangelism, okay? Uh, but, but at the same time, we realize when we put those in people's hands, an awful lot of them get thrown away. And so we got to keep our mouths open too, right? We got to keep our mouths open. But it could be a gospel tract. It could be a radio broadcast. It could be a YouTube video. But here's the point. Somebody has to tell it somehow. Somebody has to do the getting of the message from this place to that place in order for people to be able to hear about Jesus so that they can then believe upon Jesus and call on him in faith and be saved. That's the point. Now, I have to ask this question because this might even be in some of your, your minds right now, this question, well, doesn't God save people through dreams and visions? I've heard stories about God saving people through dreams and visions in the Muslim world. Is that how God saves people without any human being being involved? Well, let me just say up front, the answer is no. That's not how God saves people. The main way that we know that is because the Bible says so right here. It does not say, you don't have to do anything, church, because God can save whoever he wants to through dreams and visions, and so we don't have to worry about it. No, it says they're not going to believe in, or they're not going to call on him they haven't believed in, and they're not going to believe in him they haven't heard of, and they're not going to hear without someone preaching. That's what it says. So that's the main way that we know that. But also, as we, as we look into situations like that, uh, uh, there's been a number of people who have dug into those questions. What's going on with dreams and visions in the Muslim world and in other places where people don't have access to the gospel yet? Well, there are credible stories out there of people having dreams and visions that have been a part of God bringing them to faith in Jesus but not dreams and visions where they just get the gospel straight from God through a dream and vision and don't need any human involvement. There, there's a great story, and John Piper uh, tells this story in his, his missions book, Let the Nations Be Glad, which is a fantastic book, highly recommend it. This story of, of a particular man who was part of a tribe in Africa in, in a 
uh, in an area where there was no gospel uh, mission present at all. There was, there was kind of government opposition to the gospel coming into this area. But he had a dream, and in his dream, he, he had this picture in his head of a particular tree and two tents underneath that tree. And he just, it, from the dream, he understood, I need to go to the people who are at these tents under this tree, and they are going to tell me the message of the God that I need to know. And so what he did is he went to that tree, and guess what? There were missionaries there who had just gotten access to that part of the country who were telling people the gospel. So you see what happened there. God didn't get the gospel through the dream. He got the gospel to them through the tellers of the gospel. And he was actively involved in that man's life in order to make sure that that guy who God had chosen from before the foundation of the world was going to go and hear the gospel from these people and be saved. And there's story after story after story like that where God might use preparatory dreams in somebody's life to make sure that they come into contact with the right person, but God is not just saving people around the world without someone going to tell. That's just not how God does it. Of course, you can see some stories like this in the Bible as well. There's a man named Cornelius in the book of Acts who was, uh, was told by God somebody's going to come to your house and it's going to tell you the gospel. And then what did God do? He gave Peter a vision. You need to go to this guy's house and tell the gospel. And so he brought it together. Or, or you've got the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts who, who was reading the book of Isaiah on his way out of Israel back to Ethiopia and was sitting there going, I don't understand this. Can't there be somebody to explain this to me? And what does God do? Well, God sends Philip to go and talk to him and to share the gospel with him. Do you see what's going on here? Yeah, there's obviously supernatural stuff going on here. God is a supernatural God, but he is not supernaturally sending angels or just telling the gospel through dreams. It is God's plan. It is God's only plan to save sinners, to do it through the means of human beings getting the gospel to other human beings. That's just how God has decided to do it, and he doesn't do it other ways. And that's what this scripture says. They're not going to hear without someone preaching. And then the last thing it says is, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now, there's an awful lot of questions and interpretations about how this is to be taken or could be taken. Or Does this mean that nobody can tell the gospel unless they are ordained by the church? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. But here's, here's two things that I think that we need to take away from the fact where, uh, from these words. How are they to preach unless they are sent? One is this. If somebody is out there telling the true gospel to other people, we need to rejoice in that and say, God has sent them. God has sent them. Praise God that the gospel is going out. They, they might be doing it in ways that we could even open up our Bibles with them and say, hey, maybe you should do something a little different in the way that you're presenting this. That's possible. They, they could, be, uh, could be coming from a tradition that's very different from ours. And we'd say, well, I'm suspicious of any tradition that's not our tradition. There could be all kinds of things going on there. But when the gospel goes out, we need to say, 
as Jesus said about those who were out there doing these kinds of things, whoever is not against us is for us. And we can say, God, thank you for the gospel going out, that God is one ultimately who sends people. Just remember what happened with the Apostle Paul when, when he was on the road to Damascus and, and Jesus got a hold of his heart? Here's what Jesus said to him, I am sending you. I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Now, two things I want you to remember about when Paul got saved on the Damascus road. One is, Paul had already heard the gospel many times. In fact, he had heard it so much that he was very, very settled in the fact that he hated it and that he hated everyone who believed it, and that he was willing to hold the coats of those who were going to stone Stephen after he preached it. And he was determined to go and drag people off who were spreading the gospel in the city of Damascus. So he was not saved without hearing the gospel. But God dramatically got a hold of his heart and showed him, you need to believe this gospel that's been delivered to your ears. But even in that same moment, where Jesus was turning his heart, showing him that he is Lord. He also said to him, before there had been any other human being involved in this, this this sending process, he said, I am sending you. That's amazing. I am sending you. And where Paul says right here, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Well, he was sent by Jesus. Praise God for that. So ultimately, God is the sender, And anytime somebody's telling the true gospel, that couldn't have happened unless God was sending them. But also, what we need to be motivated to here is we need to be motivated to be senders. To be senders. Even though we can say, well, God is ultimately the one who sends, we ought not to just sit around and say, well, I don't know, who's who's God going to send? Maybe nobody, let's just have a potluck. Potlucks are great, by the way. But it's not all we're supposed to be doing. We, we can also be praying earnestly, Lord, send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus said that. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his harvest. And so we as churches, we as a church, we need to be thinking and praying, even as we're all commissioned to tell the gospel, who is it that God might raise up even from among us even from among our precious kids, to send out even to other lands, to places where people would never hear the gospel unless they were sent. We need to ask God to do this work and to be willing to send because that's part of how God does this. Jesus told churches... I know he told the apostles, but it's applicable to us as churches and as Christians. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. By the way, when he says baptizing them, built into that is planting churches, because that is the primary way, almost the exclusive way that baptism is supposed to happen in the New Testament is by churches. And where there is no church to baptize, then those who are baptized start churches in the New Testament. 
but baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, which also takes churches, by the way. Because you can't just say, I'm glad I got to introduce you to Jesus, dear sir. Good luck. I'll see you later. I'm moving on to the next person. And then expect that they're going to be taught to observe everything that Christ has commanded. No, built into this is we need to be about the task of seeing that churches are planted where they're needed around the world. That's all part of it. But here's my greater point right now, just as we are in this this phrase that says, that they, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Well, Jesus has told us to go, and Jesus has told us to send. And Jesus has told us to be aware of the need to go and to tell near and far. He said in Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they already were, and in all Judea, the whole land where they lived, and Samaria, which is the land that they would have considered to be full of weirdos right next to them. You could call that New York. And to the ends of the earth. And so there would be about all of this. He doesn't say, okay, well, I'm just going to call you guys to focus on at home, and then I'll pick somebody else to focus on the Samaritans, and then somebody else to focus on the ends of the earth. He says, I'm commissioning you to have a concern for all of these things. You see, where, where we would say, well, we only need to send to faraway lands, and we don't need to worry about at home, we're off base. Or where we say we only need to send at home, and we don't need to worry about faraway lands, we're off base. We are called here to have a heart for the lost, near and far, to be those who would tell and to be those who would send. Here's a great example of this in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, where the church in Antioch is gathered together in prayer. And in the verse right before this, it had listed out the names of the five elders of the church in Antioch. And then what happens in verse 13, or excuse me, verse 2 of Acts 13? is the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit came and said, I want two of your five elders to be sent out from your church as missionaries. And, and not just two of the five elders, but the, actual, the, the founding elders of this church in Antioch. He said, set them apart. And what did they do? It says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, and thus began all of the missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas and the others who would go with them over the years. It's just amazing what the Lord can do. And we need to be thinking and praying, what might the Lord do? That story just reminds me, you know, we we hear, we have had on our prayer list for a long time at this point, and I prayed for it this morning, that God would raise up elders for us at this church. You know, we've, we've gone through a lot of paperwork and, and discussion, and we still have more of that to do as far as what that's going to look like. But it just made me think as I was, as I was reading this, what if we got to the point where, where we had you know, maybe two other men who are right at the, at the point of, of being installed as elders, and suddenly 
it becomes apparent that we need to send them to Kenya or we need to send them somewhere else in order to fulfill the gospel mission that God has given us as a church, not just to spread the gospel here, but to the ends of the earth. Well, you know what? Then we would restart our, our, our search for elders. We would restart it because we ought not to just be about what God is doing here at this place. We ought to have a heart for those who have never heard and to be willing to send even those that could be so, so beneficial to us to places far away where the planting of churches and the spread of the gospel is so, so needed. Verse 15, the second half of the verse, talks about the beauty of bringing good news. It says this, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And he's quoting there from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. And it actually says it in, in a little bit longer words there in Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The picture that you have here in Isaiah, in, in the passage that Paul's quoting, is it's like you've got watchmen at the edge of the city. They're watching for all kinds of things that might be coming, but one of the things that watchmen would be watching for is messengers. Remember back in Bible times, you, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have the internet, you didn't even have telegrams. You had messengers on foot who were going to come and deliver to you messages of what's going on, whether it's in battle or what's going on with this king over here or that king over there, whatever it is, but they'd be watching the hills outside the city to see when the messengers are coming. And he says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. There's, there's kind of an indication in there. Somebody looks different when they're bringing good news. When, when they're on the way down that hill toward the city with good news, you can tell by the step in their feet that they've got good news instead of bad news. You've got a messenger of good news who is bringing gladness and peace and news of happiness and publishing salvation. And what it says here in, in Romans 10 is that's the way we need to view those who are determined to obey Christ and to go and to share the gospel. It is a beautiful thing. And I'm not just talking about foreign missionaries. I'm talking about when you get it in your heart, I need to do more than just get through the day with my family. I need to be a preacher of the gospel in my household. That's a beautiful thing. You've got beautiful feet. We've got to rejoice over that. When you say to yourself, I need to do more than just do a good job at my job. I need to find ways where I can, I can sit down with these people that I'm around every day and tell them the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful thing. Your feet are beautiful when you've decided you're going to do that. Or it could be foreign missions. When God calls somebody out and the church recognizes that and we say, this is somebody that we are going to send to unreached people group X in country Y in order that the gospel can be spread there and churches can be planted, we've got to say, let's rejoice in that. How beautiful are the feet of those who are going to publish peace. And that's how God's going to save people in those places. 
It's beautiful. Now, does that mean that everybody who hears the gospel is going to believe? You, you, you kind of almost see why he might address this question in verse 16, because because when you talk about they, they can call on him, they've believed, and they can believe in him, they've heard, and, and they can hear when someone preaches, and they can preach when someone is sent. We get very, very hopeful when we hear that. Lots and lots and lots of people are going to be saved, and we pray for that. The reality is not everybody who hears the gospel is going to be saved. We know that. If everybody who heard the gospel were saved, then we would definitely have to build a bigger building than this one. And that would be a blessing. We know that not everybody who hears is going to be saved. We, we know that, that as, as he quotes in verse 16, he's, he's quoting from Isaiah. He says, they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? By the way, when he says obeyed the gospel, this gets at what he says in Romans 1, 5, in the introduction to the letter. He says that his goal of his, uh, his ministry is to bring about the obedience of faith, the obedience of coming under the lordship of Jesus of believing in Jesus and being saved. But just as Isaiah says, who has believed what he has heard from us? Makes us think of Isaiah himself. Makes us think of other prophets in the Old Testament. They were telling the good news. They were telling the truth of God, but it wasn't always perceived as good news, was it? These prophets who were publishing the word of God and the way of peace and salvation in Jesus Christ, even though they didn't know his name yet, People weren't just flocking to them and saying, this is somebody who's telling us something great. Let's all believe. They, they were throwing them in pits and stuff. They, the, these people were being killed for what they were saying. Not everyone has believed the gospel. There, I do want to tell you, though, that if you've told the gospel to somebody once and they didn't believe it, don't walk away from that saying, well, I guess that person's not elect. I'll just never tell them again. I'm so, so glad that that didn't happen with me when I was a kid. I'm so glad that didn't happen with the Apostle Paul, right? Because Paul had heard the gospel, and he didn't believe, and he hated it, but God saved him anyway. And so if you've told somebody the gospel they haven't believed, keep on praying for them, keep on telling them the gospel. If God's going to save them, he'll save them in his time and by his effectual calling by the Holy Spirit at the proper time. So keep praying for them, but also know it's normal and expected to tell a lot of people about Jesus who don't end up believing it. That's normal. It's expected. It doesn't mean that the Word of God has failed, but he, we also need to know this in verse 17, not just that, that some who hear won't believe, but that all who will believe must hear. Listen to this. All who will believe must hear. That's what it says in verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. When he says faith, remember, he's, he said very, very clearly in this book of Romans that we are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. It, it, it is by believing that we're saved we, we are to, to come to understand who Jesus is, that he's both God and man. We're, we are to know what he did in living a perfect life and dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead. We are to put our faith in him alone as the only Savior. 
And it's by faith that God saves people, that God saved us. And if God is going to give faith to someone, by the way, God is the one who gives faith to someone. But if God's going to do that, it says right here, it comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ is the word about Christ. Let me just run it down for you in four points real quick. If you know these already, good for you. If you don't, shame on you. Okay? God, man, Christ, response. Okay? This is, this is the essentials of the word of Christ, of the good news of the gospel. God is God. He's our creator. He's holy. He has a righteous standard for us. God, but then there's man. That's you and me, which is man is a sinner, a sinner against the holy God, which has put us in the predicament of eternal condemnation because we can't do anything about our sin. We're guilty before God. But then God has made the way in Christ. So God, man, Christ. The way to salvation is in Jesus. He has loved sinners like you and me by sending his own son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's the last thing is our response, a response of faith. So God, man, Christ, response. That's the essentials of the word of Christ. If you believe the gospel, you can share the gospel. Okay, we need to be clear that this is good news. This is what we can tell to people. Now, there's obviously, as you live your Christian life, as you read the Scriptures, as you take in solid biblical teaching, you're going to grow in your ability to, to fill in all kinds of gaps around that central thing. But that's the central thing that we need to tell is God, man, Christ response, the Word of Christ that sinners can be saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. It's that word, as he said back earlier in Romans 10, that word that we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this raises a few what-if questions, or what-about questions, I mean. Is there... You guys are following along in your outline on your bulletin, right? Okay, good, good. These what about questions. One question is this. What about those who have never heard? Because it just said faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And it talks about how they, they can't hear without someone preaching. They can't preach unless they're sent. So what about these people out there who have never heard the gospel? Well, the answer to that is back in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. The answer to that is that they're without excuse. It says there, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. I'm going to pause there and say really quickly, occasionally you will hear a well-meaning Christian read those verses up to that point and come to the conclusion and maybe even teach in a group setting that therefore God can save people or does save people without the gospel. 
that maybe God saves people because they can, these people can look around at the creation and know that there's a creator and that maybe they then can come to faith in him through that, but it doesn't say that they come to faith in him through that. It doesn't say that. It says, so they are without excuse. And it says that that knowledge that every single human being everywhere has of the existence of God through creation is not a saving knowledge. It's a you therefore have no excuse knowledge. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened and claiming to be wise. They became fools, and it goes on and explains all kinds of unrighteousness and ungodliness. The ungodliness of worshiping the creation instead of the creator, the unrighteousness of all kinds of dishonorable passions, all kinds of sins that though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. So the question, what about those who have never heard? Well, the Bible says that they're without excuse. And the question then is, well, is God going to send people to hell who have never heard the gospel? And the Bible answer is yes. Now, there's two ways that you could take that. One way is the unbelieving route to say, I don't like that God. I don't like that Bible. I reject that idea. I don't want a God who would send people to hell who have never heard the gospel. Well, that's a misunderstanding of the nature of man, for one thing, as though that there's a bunch of people out there who don't deserve to go to hell, or that maybe I didn't deserve to go to hell. That's, that's the nature of sin. That's the nature of fallen humanity. But guys, let's not go to that place where we say, I don't like that God, I don't like that Bible. Instead, let's be driven to the other place that this can drive us, which is compassion for the lost. To say, wait a second, that means that if I had never heard the gospel, I would stay lost in my sins. I would be doomed. And I needed somebody to tell me the gospel. And those people over there who have never heard the gospel need somebody to tell them the gospel. That's that's what we ought to see here. There ought to be complete clarity in our minds. Christ is the one and only Savior. And you don't come to faith in Christ by doing your best to honor Vishnu or something like that. You come to faith in Christ by hearing of Christ and believing upon Christ. And the way that that happens is, is, is that they call on him whom they have believed in and they believe in him whom they hear of and they hear because somebody preaches and they preach because they're sent. So if, if you are deeply bothered by the reality that there are people perishing and going into eternal destruction who have never heard the gospel of Jesus, what this needs to do is motivate us to open our mouths and to tell and to have compassion on the lost. That includes the lost person who lives next door to you who has a very orderly life. And if you were going to pick out the bad person who needs Jesus, you might not pick them out, but then you come to the realization, wait a second, I don't want my neighbor to suffer eternal conscious torment apart from Christ. I want them to hear of Christ. I want them to be saved. I need to open my mouth and tell. That's how God's going to save them if he's going to save them. And it also ought to inspire us to say, 
how can we get the gospel out to those places where they don't have believers for next door neighbors? How can we get the gospel around the world to places where people will never hear unless we make an effort to get the gospel to those places? So it raises the question of righteous pagans also. Is there such a thing as righteous pagans? This comes up sometimes. Are there those out there who are, who are worshiping whatever light that they have and, and just trying to do a good job and maybe they're righteous in God's sight? Well, no, it says in Romans 3, 9 through 12, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. How could we be any clearer than that? We think to ourselves, well, maybe there's somebody out there who's trying to do a good enough job that God ought to save them by the blood of Jesus, even though they're just worshiping however they know how. Well, it says that that person doesn't exist. People have to be saved from their sins by the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Christ applied by faith, conscious faith in the actual Jesus. How does this, how does this deal with the doctrine of election? It's another question that comes about. What, what about election? If God has actually chosen whom he's going to save, then, then why do we need to bother sending people out to tell well, again, it's because God uses means to do what he's going to do. And a great example of that is in Acts 13, 48, right after Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church at Antioch to go and preach the gospel. They were preaching in another town called Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia. And it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed... Guys, the doctrine of election is not a reason to stay home and not tell the gospel. The doctrine of election is a reason to go out and to tell the gospel because we have a great, great assurance that God will save his elect people and he's going to do it through the preaching of the gospel so that the burden is not on how great of an evangelist you or I might be. God has taken the burden on himself. And if we go and tell the gospel, we send the gospel across the world, we can have great assurance that as many as were appointed unto eternal life will believe. But they've got to hear. They've got to hear. Another question about this is what about First Baptist Church of Matawan? What about this particular local church? Well, I want to remind you, here is God's commission, Christ's commission to this particular local church. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now the question that will come up for First Baptist Church of Matawan is, do we have reasons why it is hard for us to have concern for the Great Commission? And I want to concentrate especially, I've, I've tried to make clear we're talking about sharing the gospel in our homes and sharing the gospel locally, but also sharing the gospel across the world. I just want to think right now about that last part, about sharing the gospel across the world, about sending the gospel to other nations, people that we have never met, people that we would never think of, except that we have a concern for the lost. Let's think about that. Why, are, why might it be hard 
for First Baptist Church of Matawan to have a concern about that? Well, there's lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons why it would be hard. One reason is this. We're a small church. And so it's very easy for us to think to ourselves, well, that's a thing that big churches can be concerned about because they've got lots of people and lots of resources. Well, Jesus didn't say, hey, big churches only go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, obviously, a big church with lots of resources may have more options of what they're going to do and how many missionaries they can send, all that kind of stuff. It's true. But we can't say to ourselves, well, we're small and it's hard, and so therefore we can forget the Great Commission. It's the Great Commission. It's how Jesus says that we're to operate. Or we can say to ourselves, well, we don't have other elders yet. We need, to, we need to get that fixed first, and then we can start having a concern for the nations. Well, that's not what the Great Commission says either. We need to do both. Or, or we could say to ourselves, well, we have plenty to be done at home. I guarantee there's a bunch of people in this room already thinking that through this whole sermon. We have plenty to be done at home. What's wrong with pastor for talking about getting people to the nations when we have so much to be done at home? And I can think of 15 tasks that the pastor didn't do last week that he should have been doing instead of thinking. I'm, I'm, okay. But let me put it this way. There is always plenty to do at home. Every church and every Christian that has a concern for the nations and that sends the gospel to the nations also has plenty to do at home. And if we think to ourselves, we're going to wait until there's not plenty to do at home anymore, and then we're going to have a concern for sending out the gospel, we'll never do it. No church would ever do it if they said, let's finish everything that needs to be done here first. It just wouldn't happen. And people across the world would be perishing because of our arrogance. Or the question, what about the money? What about the money? You know, when, when, we, when we think about sending, one of the primary ways that we can send the gospel is through funding the missionaries that we fund right now. And, 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 and some would be thinking to themselves, well, this is going to take money away from the building fund. We need a new boiler right now. Yeah, we absolutely do need a new boiler right now. And praise God that the heat's working today. And, and praise God that that boiler hasn't exploded and flooded the basement yet. We've we got to get that taken care of. It's true. But I just want to tell you this. The building fund and the missions fund are not in competition with each other. It, this is not a zero-sum game. And, and by God's grace, churches all over the world have seen over and over and over that when they get a heart for sending out the gospel, God brings the funds to send out the gospel without taking away all the rest. Now, how exactly that's going to go? Well, it's going to be on our hearts to say this has to be a priority. It has to be a priority, even though we've got all kinds of stuff here to give and to send the gospel. There's three things in particular that we need to do, that we need to think about. How can I be more effective in helping to get the gospel around the world? One is to pray. Okay. Now, when I say pray... You might think to yourself, okay, this afternoon, I can bow my head, I can fold my hands, and I can say, God, please help our missionaries. 
If that's all you do, praise God. Praise God that you've prayed for missions. But also, did you know that every week in our prayer list, we have various things that are there to help us pray for the gospel going around around the world? And one in particular that I hope you'll pay attention to is the missionaries that we support as a church. Uh, They come up on a regular basis on the prayer list, and every week when they come up, Amanda, our church secretary, puts some information out about the missionary that's there to be prayed for on the table. A lot of times these missionaries are sending us regular updates through email, various things like that. Maybe you could pray more effectively for these specific people who are helping to plant churches and spread the gospel in specific places around the world by looking and seeing what is actually going on with them. Some of you are already on their email lists. Raise your hand if you get emails from one or more of the missionaries that we support as a church. All right, and if you want that, then let me know, and I can get you on all their email lists. And, and, And you can be more effective in praying for the spread of the gospel not just in general terms, but through those that we've gotten to know personally here as a church. We can pray, we can give, we can give. The primary way in this church that we've set up to give to missions is by giving a designated donation marked missions. When you give a designated donation that's marked missions, 0% of that goes to our church budget, 100% of that goes to the mission missionaries and missions organizations that have been voted on as the congregation at the annual meeting. And so I really encourage you, if you're not already giving toward the missions fund, you can help participate in what's being said here about sending the gospel around the world, sending preachers to go and tell so that people can be saved. You can participate in that through your labor. As you're doing your job and doing a good job and being compensated for your work, some of that labor can be for the cause of the gospel very specifically because you're going to put it in the missions fund to help get the gospel around the world. So pray and give, and then as you're praying and giving, also have this in mind, would God have me to go? Would God have me to go? Maybe it would be something as simple as saying, I want to start praying about maybe I could go out and take a trip to see one of the missionaries that we support and just see what they're doing so that I can find out how I can help them, so that I can find out how to pray for them more effectively. Or maybe it would be this. Maybe it would be that God would lay on your heart that you ought not to just stay in America anymore. Maybe God would lay on your heart, yes, there is much, much need in America, and yet I have heard of this people group in the 1040 window where they desperately need to hear the message of the gospel and nobody is there to tell them. And that needs to be me and my family selling our house, quitting my job, getting the training that I need through a a proper seminary so that I can then go out and be a missionary on the field full-time forever. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Maybe, as I said a little while ago, that would be your children. And as much as you would love to have them around as you reach old age, you also know what a blessing it would be to the mission of Christ in the world to send them out. Not to be those parents who would begrudgingly say, Why would you leave the country on me? But to say, praise God 
that you are being part of the mission of Christ to spread the glory of his name across the world. I just want to close with, with this quote from William Carey. There's another quote from William Carey in your bulletin, but I'm going to close with this one. But William Carey was a pastor in England who went out to become a missionary. He's, he's often called the father of the modern missions movement. But he says, It seems as if many thought that the commission was sufficiently put in execution by what the apostles and others have done. By that he means Jesus' commission to go and make disciples. Many have thought that we have enough to do and to attend to the salvation of our own countrymen, and that if God intends the salvation of the heathen, that he will in some way or another bring them to the gospel or the gospel to them. It is thus that multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners, who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. For one thing, don't sit around lost in ignorance and idolatry when you're sitting right in the middle of this church where the gospel is being preached every Sunday. Come to Jesus. Get that taken care of. Lay your sins down to him. Cry out to him. But believer who trusts in Jesus, don't just sit around thinking everything's going to be fine. I don't have to worry about the salvation of the lost. Get a heart for lost people just as you yourself were lost. And pray about how God would have you to be involved in opening your mouth to tell and in sending the gospel around the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've given us in your word. You have given us the gospel, and you've given us the commission to go and to tell the gospel. Lord, we know that you can do all things. We know that if it were your plan and your way of doing things, that you could immediately bring every single person in the whole world to saving faith simultaneously by telling them the gospel and opening their hearts to believe even without us. We know you could do that, but we also know you've said that's not what you do. And so we, we trust that your plans are perfect, that you have given us the commission to spread the knowledge of the glory of the Lord across the whole earth as the waters cover the sea, and to do that in preaching Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do what we can in our own small way, in our own small place, through opening our mouths to tell our family and friends and other people the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would make us effective in the sharing of the gospel as we go out to do evangelism projects like the prayer table and keyport as the weather gets warmer. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have new avenues for spreading the gospel opened up and for us to be zealous about them. We pray for our missionaries that we support across the world. We pray that you would strengthen them and help them even right now as they're about the business of evangelism and church planting. And God, I pray that you might open up new pathways and new hearts among this church for us to get the gospel to our own country, to our own community, and to the nations. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.